Good afternoon and welcome to Books in the Biz. I'm back here with my loyal friend, Rich. Rich, how are you doing? I'm good, Dan. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. So awesome. today's topic actually comes from uh, some subject matter that was uh, sent to us by a listener. And who would have thought that after just a few weeks, we would have had somebody that would actually pipe up and uh, give us some feedback on some topics to talk about. So uh, yeah. Today, what we're actually going to talk about is kind of related to our Bidenomics subject. And uh, Randy Gunter spoke up and said, "Hey, what about this healthcare thing? Healthcare is actually the bigger problem for me as a business owner than the Bidenomics stuff. What? Why didn't you give any input on that?" And I'm like, "Well, that's a good thought. Why didn't we give any input on that? We we're basically talking about the economic side of things, and we were talking a little bit about business and." And, you know, what employers should pay for, for payroll or for salaries. But we didn't really touch on any of the benefits. And healthcare is a pretty big one for a lot of companies. So you and I got together and said, hey, this is probably a good subject to talk about. Yeah, and it was, a, it was definitely a relevant, uh, it was a relevant discussion that came <laughs> out of that. And, and your point a second ago is really important, too, I think, because, you know, Bidenomics does still have that trickle down effect, right? I mean, the right. people who really hit home on how is this affecting me are the bigger companies and the bigger companies work with the smaller companies. So the smaller companies feel it after the bigger companies kind of react to it or, or deal with it. So, well, I also see that as the other problem with hiring because uh, there are a number of people that do look for health, health insurance or healthcare as part of their benefits package, especially beyond salary. So they want to know what they're going to have to pay for premiums. They want to know how good the health insurance is going to be. Um, there are a number of factors for that. There's also kind of a demographic factor, I think. Um, younger people, and I don't know if you've seen this with your experience, um, younger generations tend to worry less about health care, more about the money. When you start getting up a few years and you start getting married, having kids, all of a sudden it flips. And while money's still important, healthcare seems to become a bigger issue. Is that what sure. you're seeing as well? I am. Um, and, you know, the, the cost factor comes in too, because, you know, if you're single and you're younger and you're trying to just get a single, you know, coverage policy and your biggest issue is, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not unhealthy. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a healthy person. And so really, I'm only worried about that sudden emergency. So I'm really only worried about a, um, you know, sort of a, uh, you know, stopgap policy in case I have to go to the hospital for something that nobody expects. You know, the pricing for that is totally different than family coverage. Right. So, you know, when you come into those factors, yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing that. Well, I was also pretty much invisible to at least 25 or 30. There wasn't anything that was going to happen to me that was going to hurt me or put me in the hospital until I went skiing one time and blew out my knee. Yeah. And it wasn't so fun. Then I found out how bad my my health healthcare insurance was at the time. <laughs> um, it was a very expensive knee. It, it's still working today, which is good, but uh, it was very costly. Uh, sure. Way different than my second round when I blew out my other knee playing volleyball. And I had completely different insurance, and that cost me at the time like five dollars. Now that that's a dream in today's world, but there yeah. was at one point where you could get really good healthcare. Um, but times have changed a little bit, haven't they? Very much so. Very much so. Um, it's it's unfortunate, um, but it's a, it's a fact of life. 
at this point. That's what it's become. So as much as it was an issue before, it's still an issue now, except the price tag's bigger. Yeah, way bigger. Way, way bigger. bigger. Do you know how much, what's the the rate that uh, healthcare costs have climbed over the last, say, 20 years? Uh, 20, you know, I didn't actually look at what the 20 years was. I can tell you that, you know, just from my experience being a business owner, you know, mine are at least double what they were even back in, you know, 2010, 2015, somewhere in that range. Um, I would tell you that, you know, the, the price at this point is probably double, at least for family coverage, because that's the way I can look at it. Yeah. But, How much of that is really an effect of, uh, we'll call it Obamacare for lack of a better word, because that's what everyone knows it as. Um, to me, a lot of the costs with Obamacare uh, went up because we we threw more people in the pool, basically. So the mm-hmm. there's more people seeking care because now they could get it, which means there's the same number of people providing care as before. So mm-hmm. you've got more people in using those resources, which of course is driving costs up, which, you know, some people might say, well, shouldn't it be the opposite? Shouldn't it actually push costs down because you have more people and you're able to defer those costs over, over more people. But the reality is there's the whole economics of scarcity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It definitely did have what I saw. It definitely did have its effect during the Obamacare implementation. I'm not even sure that it's because of Obamacare. It started before Obamacare came in. Because if if we remember, Obamacare came in, it was voted in, and it was to take effect like two or three years later. It like pushed out when the actual effective date was. So insurance companies started jacking up rates on the people who had existing policies. Mm. So that whole, my, my biggest beef with the whole thing was the statement that if you have good insurance and you want to keep it, you can. <laughs> you can okay. until you couldn't I had, anymore. <laughs> I had great insurance. My my group had great insurance, and almost instantaneously, I watched it climb. It climbed the first year. It climbed the second year, and I really liked the insurance enough that I kept it. And when I got to that third year, they finally decided too many people are still staying on our insurance. So we're going to find a way to get rid of you. And so they opted to remove themselves from my state. (laughs) So they literally pulled themselves out of offering small business coverage in my entire state and said, if I want to stay on, my insurance would be four times the cost that it was the year before. And your situation isn't unique. That was happening Uh here in Wisconsin, too. We also saw that where, you know, policy would just go away or you'd be rolled into a brand new policy. And like you said, costs were significantly higher. Benefits were significantly lower. Um, It really did change the marketplace in that way. Uh, The other part of this, though, was there was also a penalty on the government side if your insurance was too good, wasn't there? Didn't they call them Cadillac Uh, plans? And if you had a really good policy, well, you couldn't have that anymore. You had to pay actually a penalty to the government for keeping such a good policy. 
the, the Cadillac tax, right? I think they yeah. called it the Cadillac tax. So I don't have a Cadillac really, really... in my driveway, so I, I, I <laughs> couldn't keep my insurance. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was another piece of it. But I think your, your comment on the marketplace was the other thing, the other factor, I think, that no one kind of anticipated. So I'm in New Jersey, and there were a good six or seven options. Once my insurance company left, other people said, oh, you mean we can leave? And they did. So mm -hmm. you wound up dropping from six or seven options down to three. So you, the whole premise around this was, you know, open up the markets, get more competition, you get better pricing on the healthcare. And that never happened because the states basically allowed people to leave. So it did the opposite effect. Now you had three choices and they all knew it. So, you know, you go out to bid, you're really looking at three different people, but they all know what each one of them's doing. And they also know that every couple of years you're going to flip back and change again because it was the only way to play, to play the game. Right. You know, because once they got a hold of your, you know, your participation or your usage on the insurance, then your rate would change no longer on just their standard percentage. It would change to what your usage was. So they would offer you, you know, 40, 50 percent increase in premium. So you'd go shop. Yeah. So they know you're doing this. So, you know, it just became this big, you know, go to this guy for two years and then flip over to that guy for two years and then, you know, try it again. Now, with the with the insurance, the way it is, um, there's always been the argument for moving to single payer. And and is this going to be better or not? And since at this point, you know, we're not telling companies what to do, we are by no means approaching this from a political standpoint. When you look at the idea that, okay, if, if we said, okay, the government's going to manage healthcare and they will do everything, you will pay your premiums to the government, you will have universal care across the board. What do you see as really being the benefit of doing that? And then we'll get to the second part, which is there's always a cost that comes with it, right? So then what's the cost? Well, I think the, if we weren't talking about a government agency and we were talking about, you know, and we were well, talking, you know, that's where the single payer is going. If, if I know, I know. There isn't going to be a third party. There's going to be a one party. And it's not going not gonna to work out the way we are. So, yeah, I think that, I think that in theory, okay, in theory, the benefit is exactly what we said before, that volume comes into play. And what should happen is that, you know, the volume of people going through the same system should allow for efficiencies in the system. That never seems to work with the government agency. It seems to always wind up where the taxpayer winds up paying more for it somewhere. So, yes, we, maybe we'll get lower health care, but our taxes will go up. So, <laughs> I mean, I, so so I guess the, the advantage in theory should be the volume should be able to get you a better set of standards, a better set of care. Um, it should be able to get you a better price. You know, I mean, because let's, let's, let's diverge for a second, right? One of the strategies that's out there right now is, you know, at least for the smaller employer, you know, the model that seems to work really well for somebody who's under say 50 people, you know, is to join a, PEO, which is a professional employment yeah. organization. 
right? So you join a PEO and your five people are no longer a five person group. They become incorporated into a 500 person group. Right. Well, the Aetna's and the, I guess I shouldn't use real names, but you know, they're the insurance company, so we can right. use it, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, we're not those... saying anything good or bad about them. We are just saying this no, is, the, this is look, serving. The, yeah. the big guys are more, they cater more to a larger group. Why? Because of exactly what we're talking about. You know, the more people, the less overall cost, the more spread out the cost over the actual population of the group, they actually can find economies of scale in taking care of 5,000 people as opposed to taking care of five. So the PEO model is a very good example of how people can come together and almost share the cost by going into to a, a group that is managed by a single entity, but you become a piece of that. So you right. get to be a large group instead of a small group because the bigger insurance companies will cater to the large group and not to the small. Okay. Right. Will they service the small? Absolutely. But the cost ben you know, the cost benefit is to go into the large. So you There's, would think from a macroeconomic standpoint, it would make sense that if you can put them all in the same group, yeah, that would that would be great. Except for the fact that, you know, there's there's just too much um, there's too much that goes along with it being another government agency that, you know, now we have to watchdog and worry about whether or not there's something else right. going on in there or whether, you know, it's got the right um whether it's got the right mindset for what it's well, trying to actually accomplish. That's really where the bloat comes in, from a government side anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's always going to be somebody who's going to try and cheat the system, right? This is why the government wants 87,000 IRS agents, because they're looking for people that are trying to cheat the system and then go forward, find that money, penalize those people, and, and thus collect more revenue. I, I almost see it the same way here. Somebody's going to try to, you know, either get more coverage, limit their insurance, lower their costs in some ways that is not appropriate. And the government's then going to say, well, then we're going to create this task force or we're going to create this department within the health administration agency or whatever they end up calling it. And those people are now going to go out. They're going to audit companies. They're going to create more paperwork. They're going to create more accounting and they're going to do this with the idea of preventing fraud, which it seems like they never seem to do. But in the end, the, the smaller guys are the one that pay the price because they're the ones that they don't have HR departments or teams. And this might circle back yeah. to where the PEO makes sense, because essentially, if I'm understanding a PEO right, your employees aren't technically your employees anymore. They're they're employed by a third party and more or less leased back to you for a, a set rate of, of what that's going to be. Now you still treat them like your own employees. You can still hire, you can still fire and all this stuff. So I'm not saying good, bad or otherwise, but it does change the dynamics a little bit on employment. So there, there are all these issues when it comes to, there's, there's never going to be a perfect system. The question is which system is going to create more, more problems in, in the outset. And yeah. when you're talking about economy scale, I'm also looking at it from the other side because I, I don't know if you went to school to become a medical doctor. I know I didn't. However, I have friends <laughs> and, and family of, of friends that have gone through that, that process. And it's rather lengthy and rather expensive and time consuming. Yeah. So let's put it this way. You have 100 doctors. You have 100 nurses. 
you have 500 people that, that are being serviced by that group. And now you open it up where it's not 500 people, it's 5,000, 10,000, 100,000. Did the doctors change? Did the nurses change? No, it's the same number of people. Did we all of a sudden multiply hospitals by tenfold? Did we multiply clinics by tenfold? No, no, we didn't do that. So you see the system where you now put everyone in, everyone gets healthcare, but they still can't get it because there, there's only so much room. And if we look at places like Canada and Europe that have implemented uh, universal healthcare systems, and sometimes it's really good. I've had people that have said wonderful things about it. And I've had other people tell me, you know what, if I was dying of cancer and didn't know it and I needed a, a CAT scan or something, I'm going somewhere where I'm going to pay for that that service. Because if I wait, they're going to put me in queue and that queue might be two years down the road, in which case I might be terminal and might be dead before I even get a chance to get tested out. So we're looking at systems that are not going to be perfect all the way around. And we're not here to solve that, but we are here to point out you're looking at the money side. I think you did a good job with that. I look at the operation side and you know that's what I see. Um, what do you think really needs to change as far as healthcare goes to to get it to work better? Oh, great question, because I've debated this one a thousand times. Um, you're the best I one to answer it because you're the one that's more actively involved in healthcare <laughs> than I am right now. <laughs> yeah, I am not. Uh, I'm not a proponent. Maybe I, I don't like saying it and making my opinion. It, it is my opinion. So I'll say it's my opinion. Um, but my opinion really is I don't believe it should be in a government hands. I just don't think that the right people would have the right uh, ability to take care of that. Um, I really don't know if, if I was to look at you know the U.S. government and look at it as it's really run by a lot of people with some degree of legal background. Um, I don't want my health care being determined by a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've been one who said, you know, I've watched over the years, I've watched the things they try to put in place, you know, and it's like trying to make a K turn with an 18 wheeler. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it doesn't happen. Um, so I don't have a big thing of let's go and support, you know, the single, the single entity running the show. Um, but I think that there's a bit of a profit motive problem still if we go the other way. So maybe it's a nonprofit division somewhere that that is the way to go that, you know, it's not out to make profit, but it's out to give us the better health care. And, and I don't know how that works. That would be a lot of time that I have to put in to come up with what would that plan look like. But it's got to be somewhere in the middle. Because the profit motive thing, I watched how that happened directly to me. So I really am talking from personal experience mm -hmm. watching my $900 a month family coverage go to $2,200 a month. And with really not much more to show for it than what I was getting at the $900. So now you go to the hospital and the bills are so ridiculous. And then, you know, if you're in the right insurance company... Well, the insurance company is going to pay a fraction of that. Right. So, you know, so the insurance companies are still getting all the deals from the healthcare providers. So you need the insurance because you can't afford it right. at all if you don't have the insurance. Well, so I don't know what almost... it's like in, in New York State. 
I know in Wisconsin though, the rule tends to be if you don't have insurance, they they charge you the full rate. So there's the insurance Same. rate. Insurance gets a discounted price. They take advantage of that, and through that, you also get you know part of your services covered, and part of it you have to pay for. If you don't have any insurance though, you pay whatever the full cost is, and it could be two to three times higher than having yeah. insurance. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the funny part. I, and I hate to bring this up because it's a sore subject, but, um, you know, I wound up leaving a group that I had insurance through back in 2022, early 2022. And so I called up and said, okay, I'm going to, you know, restart my group and I'm going to go and do, you know, whatever I want to do. So I called the insurance agent and they actually told me, which is opposite what it used to be. They said, go on Cobra. They mm. said, go on and extend your benefits and pay it yourself. Because if you try to get your own policy now, it's actually twice as expensive as the Cobra. <laughs> so essentially my personal coverage is actually from my old group. I'm still great because I was able to stay on a, on a large group rate and not have to worry about trying to get my own policy set up. So it, it really is a mess. And I can only imagine that if, if I'm seeing it, I can't imagine what people who don't actually, you know, deal with this stuff. I've dealt with it from being in the CFO role for a long time. So you deal with the costs of, you know, of the benefits, but I can't imagine if you don't understand this stuff or you don't deal with it on a regular basis, I can't imagine what people are going through trying to just, decide what what can i do to not only protect themselves but protect their employees well it, that's probably the biggest nightmare for most small companies and i think that's why randy had brought it up when when he was asking about our our biden care or our biden anomic situation is it is really hard to figure it out there aren't a lot of insurance companies out there that really understand this or, or manage it fully so you you do have to kind of pick and choose there um, you know, the other thing is, is what's going to come of it. So if you're a really small company, say less than 10 employees, it's almost impossible to get anything. Yes. In fact, I know clients and I have clients that, um, they will just, they'll give the person basically a stipend or, a it's not a bonus, but they'll give them, you know, extra cash. They'll say, here's $500, go on the exchange, find your own policy. You can pick whatever you want. It could be. You could spend more than that $500. You could spend less than that $500, but that's that's essentially your your health benefit, and it's up to you to use it or not. So if you yeah. choose not to get insurance, it's not on us. Um, you just use that benefit how you see fit. Uh, yeah. And that's really about the best that some can ask for is, mm -hmm. is going through the exchange and, and finding their own policies. And in some cases, you know, again, the small companies just have to try and find a way to benefit them from it. Um, you did point out the PEO thing. I think it's worth bringing that up again. So that is essentially where um, you have a separate company that had more or less acts as a large employer group. And they take your employees, they add them to their employee group, and then those employees are more or less, I'll call it, leased back to you uh, for whatever an hourly rate is plus an administrative markup. So, you know, if it's $20 an hour employee, you might be paying 25 for that person. But then you don't have to worry about any of the HR stuff. You don't have to worry about any of the benefits stuff. You're, you're basically just paying that that rate all the time. Um, yeah. What are some other, I mean, do you know of any other 
solutions to this for a small business that they could really try and improve their the um, way their healthcare is handled? Unfortunately, it's state by state, but I think there there are a number of states out there that do allow health health insurance um, on a on an association basis. So, like for me, if I wanted to, I could probably go to the American Institute of CPAs and say, "Hey, what health coverage do you have?" And they'll allow me in because I have a license and I have a membership with the with the association. Mm, yeah, that's right. Um, but I think it goes state by state because the funny part is, you know, I'm, I'm always the guy that has to read the part that says, you know, not available in New Jersey <laughs> so, or Wisconsin. Um, but I do know but I do know in other states they do allow it and they do actually have the ability that if you want to go and, and buy your insurance through an association that you're in, you know, you can you can do that. Years ago, they had something similar, which was there was. Um, People would get together as I think there was like a national association of, uh, of self-employment or self-employed persons. And one of the biggest benefits of being a, a member there was you signed up for health insurance. Yeah. So if you were a really small group, the, the membership dues were not out of, out of this world. They weren't out of control. So it would allow you to get health insurance that was reasonably covered. And most people, like we talked about before, most people who are, you know, self-employed and trying to build a business and just trying to start out, this is a great option because, you know, they don't have the need for anything more than, you know, um, major medical. Right. If something big happens, I want to make sure I'm covered. Yep. Um, but that would be my, my second alternative. After that, I don't, I, I think at that point you're kind of stuck. And you almost have to go and figure out what your what your options are from your state or from the federal government. You know, you almost get into the the pool and and swim around and see what you can get. Well, I do think that was a good point. I'm glad you did bring that up because I forgot about the association angle. Uh, chambers of commerce as well. Some chambers of commerce you're able to uh, get a group rate through. They have special group plans. Um, uh, professional organizations, professional associations. It's worth checking all those out because that's an added fringe benefit that I think a lot of businesses don't realize that, you know, they might be paying to be part of that for for business development or, or for some other reason, but they never think about, you know, maybe they do have a group plan that I can be part of. That's a fraction of what it would cost if I went out and got my own group plan. Yeah, because that's the other that's the other thing that's become more and more difficult. The group plan now, I mean, it used to be where you and your wife would constitute two people. Right. And you could go and you could sign up and say, I'm a group because I have two people. Now it doesn't work no. that way. Now your spouse <laughs> can't be included. So now you have to go and have someone else. You at least have to have one other employee. But even the PEOs, most of the time, you have to have five people. So you can't right. be low you can't be a small, small startup. You know, and expect to be able to find, you know, a a a a good rate on health insurance. Now, speaking of startups, because you've dealt with this also a little bit more than I have, um, what do you typically do when when you have a startup situation and you have, you know, maybe that is a, an important benefit that they're trying to get? I'd I'd speak to it myself, but I have zero experience on it. Most of the people I know just wing it. Because they're twenty somethings, they're not fifty somethings that worry about insurance. But what are you seeing? Um, what I wind up, 
and I, and I have to answer this two different ways. Um, what I wind up looking at is, are they married? And if they're married, does their spouse have mm -hmm. a full-time job with access to healthcare? And then you wind up being their number two. So that's probably the best of all worlds um, because the, the alternative is I don't really have much other than the things that I've already said. Can you get on a PEO? Can you get an association coverage? You know, what does the government cost you as a single? You know, if you just want to go and get something out of the pool or is it better to just wing it, as you said? Because yep. when you wing it, you wind up paying the government anyway you know, <laughs> to cover you when you wind up in the hospital for being an uninsured you know, person. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, the key is uninsured person with no money. Cause if you're an uninsured person with any sign of money, <laughs> yeah. rules good change point. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Good point. I I've seen people who wind up in that situation of having to go to the hospital and say, I don't have any money. And the stack of paperwork that goes along with them trying to find you an option for how to get you covered or get you covered by the federal government's plan uh, is it's just a scary yep. vision. It's a scary vision to see that. So if there's an option to get a decent healthcare, at least for major medical, find it, you know, ask somebody where they can find it, find, you know, options, just, you know, you have to almost go down that investigation road. You can't, you, I don't see people not looking at it. You know, I don't see people saying I'm going to wing it anymore because you wind up paying for it anyway. Yes, you do. From a finance side, I can't imagine, you know, what it's like to fumble through all this. And I know you've worked for several companies on, you know, figuring out healthcare costs and, and whatnot. Uh, is it still pretty much an annual event where you've got to audit and review your, your health premiums or has pretty much the insurance I mean, in my mind, the insurance company is pretty much taking care of that. They don't want you on the policy anymore. They just up your premiums to the point where you won't, you won't take them, and that's yeah. how they eliminate you. Yeah. Um, but I do believe it's everywhere I've been, everybody I've worked with, it's always an annual look. You know, when are you going to get that letter that says, here's what next year's premiums look like? And, you know, a lot of people are looking at it. It used to be you get the letter, and then you go look. Now I think people are starting to look before they get the letter because they almost anticipate that the number is going to be so much more that, you know, they have to be able to get the time to be able to go and see if they can change the policy. And as you get bigger, that gets harder because yeah. now you have to onboard all the people that work for you onto a new policy. How do you do that? Like yep. 50, 60, 100 people, how many days does it take to get all those people signed up for the new insurance so they don't have a lapse or you don't have a, you know, there's 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 less of likeliness where you're going to wind up with a gap in coverage, but you still have to find um, the way to get the paperwork done. You know, people can't yeah. go in and if something happens to you and you're renewal was September 1st and you don't have your card on September 1st, you know, it becomes, you're not uncovered, but now you might have to pay for it and then expect reimbursement back later. So it just becomes a bigger nightmare now to get those changes put in place. 
Now add to that nightmare the fact that most employees are asking, seeking, and getting higher wages, whether it's hourly or salary, because again, we have more jobs than we have people to fill those jobs. So you've got all these benefits issues popping up. You have salary issues popping up. You're busy trying to staff. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where we kind of reach critical mass on this and, and companies either automate because now the cost of automation is less than the cost of acquisition of a, a new employee or a new body to, to do that task. Um, we we haven't touched on it yet, but I'm sure at some point we're going to talk about AI and what the effects of, of artificial intelligence, should that actually become a thing, could have on certain positions. We've we've talked a little bit about counting and some other things, but really what's, what's going to be the overall effect of that? Um, it's wild. It's it's an interesting yeah. time. It definitely is a sign that you need to look closely at your book strategically, not just accounting wise. So this yeah. is where the books is. If you need any advice or, or have any questions, by all means, reach out to us. You can contact Rich directly. Best way to get a hold of you, Rich, is uh, email by rveltry at veltrygroup.com. Excellent. And yeah. from from the operations side, you can always <laughs> contact me uh, because you do have to run efficiently. And some of that efficiency might come through automation or some other tool or technique. So you can reach out to me at, you can find me at Dan Paulson, let's go. You can reach me at Dan at EnvisionBusinessDevelopment.com as a long word. So just go to Dan Paulson, let's go. Click on the contact link and it's probably easier that way. Uh, but Rich, thanks again. This is always an interesting discussion. And I'm sure we are going to have plenty more about different benefits and, and needs that business have. And uh, if you got any any input, please let us know. We love to hear what questions you guys are looking for us to answer. Uh, if you could like, subscribe, send the notifications, got to do the YouTube thing. You can also find Books in the Biz as a podcast. So if you're somebody who's on the road quite a bit, doesn't have time to watch videos or should not be watching videos while you're driving. And yes, you know who you are, people. You're out there. Uh, listen to us on Books in the Biz, and you'll get the same benefit of the video without my ugly mug. Rich is nice looking. Me, not so much. But that's the way it goes.